Well, if you would uh, take your Bibles, please, and uh, turn to the book of Exodus. And we are beginning the 18th chapter. And if you uh, wouldn't mind, why don't you uh, text somebody and say, are you watching? And um, let's get as many people as we can together on all of this. I want to uh, remind you that we've been taking up a love offering for our staff. And I appreciate so much those of you who have given already. Thank you for that. If you haven't given yet, then uh, please go ahead and do so. And uh, we're going to try to have next Sunday, the 20th, be the uh, last Sunday we collect that so that we can uh, get it to our people before Christmas. So uh, please join us on all of that. And thank you for uh, all that you've been doing. We uh, had a great time last week doing the musical on Sunday evening and had a much better crowd than we would have expected during these times. And we're appreciative of everybody who invited somebody, people who came, especially those of you who performed. Thank you for all of the time that you put in on it. It was a a wonderful evening and the Lord's been blessing us. And so uh, we think about this season of the year. We think about um, all of the things that are supposed to go along with Christmas. And uh, I know that today it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas outside. And I'm also thinking that on December 25th, it'll be what, maybe 85 and uh, tropical. So, uh, you know, you never know around Oklahoma, do you, just exactly what's going to happen. But we'll enjoy whatever we get, and we'll remember the real reason for the season is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's great love for us to provide His Son as our sacrifice. Exodus 18 has nothing to do with Christmas, really, does it? And yet, at the same time, maybe there are some insights that we can gain out of the 18th chapter of Exodus, and it reminds us that Moses, as great a man as he was, and as much as God used him in such mighty and wonderful and great ways, he was still a man, wasn't he? And he had his problems, he had his sins. There were times when, well, we're picking up on a part of the story where Moses has, well, he left Midian, remember, and he goes to Egypt at the command of God to tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, let my people go. Well, you know how that went over. And then Moses is there throughout the plagues. And um, can you imagine what kind of stress there must have been upon him coming from Pharaoh, coming from the government, coming from the Egyptians themselves, not to mention the Israelis are just a little skeptical about Moses. Did he really hear from God? Is he really the one that is sent to uh, try to uh, liberate us? How is this going to turn out? Because initially things got worse instead of getting better. You know, so many times life is like that. It's darkest before the dawn, isn't it? And that's what Moses is living through. And yet, when finally the day comes and they are liberated, how long does it take before the people themselves begin to turn on Moses? Well, they get at the Red Sea. And what happens? What did you do? Bring us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? And then the miracle of walking across 
on dry land, the uh, Red Sea. And then as that happens, they're singing and dancing and rejoicing. And Moses is the greatest guy in the world until they get to the bitter waters at Marah. And uh, then when they throw the tree in and it's sweet again, then uh, the water's sweet, then what happens? Moses is the greatest guy in the world until they don't have any water. And then they turn on him once again until they don't have food. And then they turn on him once again. And you remember that Moses, when he is talking to the Lord, says, the people are about to stone me. So we're looking at a Moses that is really, really busy and he is really stressed out and he is even apparently uh, fearful for his life. He has a group of a million or two million fickle people who can't decide whether Moses is a hero or a villain and Moses probably desperately wants them to like him. He probably is doing everything he can and going even as we're going to see the extra mile simply because everybody wants people to like them, to appreciate them. They want to get along with things. He doesn't know when they're going to turn on him. What can one man do against so many of these other, uh, uh, these other people and uh, the way that they are acting? And so you can imagine what that's like. So we're going to go into chapter 18 and uh, we're going to have the character Jethro, remember him? Not from the Beverly Hillbillies, but Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is reintroduced into the story. This chapter is more of a narrative, and we're going to cover part of it today. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 14 of Exodus 18. And uh, let's, let's read it together. And Jethro, the priest of Midian... Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Okay, we need to stop there. You know what that says to me? When Moses left Midian and said, I've met with God at a burning bush and he has told me to go and liberate my people, what do you suppose Jethro thought was going to happen? I think verse 1 intimates that Jethro did not expect this to turn out well. Think about it. What if your son-in-law came to you and said, God told me to go to Washington, D.C., and that I am to go into the Oval Office and uh, you know, say something like this, to President Trump. How do you think that is going to turn out? How do you think that's going to happen? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, think about it like this. Back in the days of the pharaohs, where one man had the power of life and death over anyone else, what do you think is going to happen when a shepherd comes from out in the backside of the desert, remember, and he comes in and he confronts the most powerful man in the world. And he says, let my people go. That's what God says to you. And so I don't think that Jethro had any expectation that this was going to turn out well. I don't think that he really had much of an idea that it would ever happen. And when he hears about it, how would he hear about it? Well, they didn't have 
mass media or social media or anything like that. But they did have a lot of caravans that would uh, travel from place to place. And these caravans not only carried goods from one part of the world to another, they also carried news, things that uh, happening in Egypt, you know, you might hear about it in Midian through these things. Well, Jethro is apparently well enough connected. He's heard about all of this stuff, and uh, well, surprise, uh, it actually has worked out the way Moses, the kooky son-in-law, um, you know, described it and said was going to happen. And so it says in verse two, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law took Zipporah, Moses' wife, and after he had uh, sent her back, and with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, uh, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness. Don't you know back in those days without uh, communication and all of that, it must have been hard to find somebody like that. But again, there were enough people who had seen these million-plus Israelis and um, heard stories about them that they were able to give them directions. I don't know how long it took them, but he found it. Uh, where, let's pick up in the text again. Where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Where's the mountain of God? That's Sinai. Verse 6. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about uh, their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now this is pretty important here, verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. That's with a little g. Gods that Jethro probably worshipped. For in the very thing which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with 
Moses' father-in-law, a Gentile, by the way, before God. And so it was on the next day that Moses went to judge the people. And by that it means settle their disputes. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. That's a long day. Verse 14. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And we'll stop there and get into the rest of it. So Moses is, as we said earlier, an old guy. He's tired of dealing with the complaints. You know he has to be. And uh, tired of being blamed for everything that goes wrong and even feeling that his life is threatened. And so maybe that explains why he is willing to sit there and listen to their disputes. Can you imagine how old that must get? Can you imagine when you think about the people of Israel, how petty they seem to be, how fickle they seem to be, and Moses is sitting listening to them give their complaints. This guy did this, or this person did this, and I want something done about it. Moses has to arbitrate. Moses has to uh, settle the disputes. And when you have two people that are upset with each other, most of the time, when it gets settled, it goes either one way or the other. Very rarely is there a compromise. Very rarely do they ever come together. And so Moses, no matter what he does, he's going to have half of the people, maybe, upset with him. And half of the people that aren't going to be happy with the way things come out. And so this is a tough, tough situation. And to do this all day long, it's bound to affect your attitude. But isn't it interesting that when he is doing all of this, the people still feel free to criticize him. They still feel free to turn on him anytime that things aren't quite going their way and Jethro is watching all of this and I think when he says what is this you are doing he's probably thinking of uh, maybe there's a better way to handle this well in fact there is and the next verses are going to talk about that maybe there's also a little bit of why are you doing this for people that really don't love you any more than these people seem to love you why is it that you care about them much more than they care about you why is it that you will allow them to suck the life out of you and to take advantage of you as if it's your job so you're supposed to do it and yet at the same time you get very little back from them and in return from them and as you read through the bible you find out for the men of god a lot of times that's kind of the way it was and so jethro doesn't really understand this he's not a jew he has not been a slave he's not been through the plagues or the red sea or any of that he doesn't understand their culture their heritage the covenants the backgrounds or anything not the way that the israelis do he's a new believer after all 
It appears that during this, when he hears all that the Lord has done for Israel and all that God has done for Moses, that that's when he comes to the point of saying, I, I see now that there's one true God, and he blesses that God, confesses faith in that God by offering the sacrifices. So he's a new believer, we might say, and he doesn't get all of the, of the culture. You know, it's interesting, sometimes new Christians come into a church and they don't understand the tradition and the heritage. They don't understand about all of the <coughs> politics that go on. They don't understand the way things were done by grandma and grandpa in the church. They don't understand 20 or 30 years or 50 years or 2,000 years of church history or anything at all. They just see something in the Bible and they go, why aren't we doing it? Why don't we just take off and get it done? Why do we have to go through all of the red tape? And that seems to be where Jethro is here. Why are you doing this? And why do you put up with all of this kind of stuff when uh, there's a better way to do this? And uh, he'll explain that in a little bit. But what I wanted to say is that Moses, this man who is as busy as anyone you would ever know, this man who is putting all of his energy into these people and into this situation, uh, this man has some things that are really, really glaringly, in my opinion, left out of his life. And so I want to take a look at Moses and this situation with Jethro just to say this. What are you giving up? What are you leaving behind? What is it that you are quote-unquote, sacrificing that you don't need to because you're so busy. And you do it under the guise of, yeah, but I'm serving the Lord. Yeah, but I'm doing God's work. Well, Moses could have said that too. But doesn't it strike you strange that Moses is out here after all of this stuff going on in Egypt, after all of this stuff with the Red Sea, all of this stuff in the desert, all of this time that's going on, and do you notice who's missing? Where are his kids? Where is his wife? You know, the last time he was with his wife, it was not a, a real pretty situation. She was angry with him, called him a bloody husband, if you remember. And uh, now he's going on in this uh, situation, working, working hard, working long. You can't accuse him of being lazy. He's putting a lot of effort in all of this. You uh, might say that, like the Lord Jesus told us, if someone compels you to carry their pack one mile, carry it too. Well, Moses is going the second mile in all of this, isn't he? Putting up with all of this stuff and uh, having to deal with all of this. And yet there are some things that are glaring in his life. Number one, I want you to notice that uh, when you are a busy person, when you are, um, oh, I don't know, maybe it's because of work, maybe it's because of the season of the year, whatever it might be, I would say, number one, don't forget your family. Where is Moses' family? Where is his wife? Where is his son's? You know, uh, to me, it's interesting that uh, Joshua takes over for Moses, but not Gershom and uh, not Eliezer. Uh, where, why? Well, we can go with the will of God, the sovereignty of God, of course. 
But isn't it interesting that the main leader of Israel, of Judaism, still a dominant figure, you would kind of expect maybe there would be a family connection. Maybe one of his sons would, would be doing something in here, but you don't see or hear a whole lot about them, do you? You uh, wonder... Why was he not wanting his wife to be with him? Why was he not making arrangements here? And what the text seems to indicate is that Jethro is the one who initiated this, that Jethro is the one, I mean, I don't know, maybe he wanted uh, Zipporah out of his house as badly as Moses did, I don't know. But he's the one who initiates it, and he's the one who sends the message to Moses, I'm coming and I'm bringing your wife and your son's with me to you I'm wondering if Moses was not so busy doing the Lord's work that he did like a lot of pastors do that he did like a lot of people I've seen deacons do this I've seen Sunday school teachers do this that they get so consumed in the work of the church as they call it the Lord's work that they don't bring their families along with them I've heard people over the years say, which comes first, God, the church, the family? And they make a list, one, two, three. And some people say, well, God's number one. And some people say the family's number two. Some people say the church is number two because Jesus said you've got to hate your father and your mother and that type of thing. What, what, what is it? Well, I'm kind of, uh, in my thinking, I'm think, uh, thinking this why would those things ever compete? They're all God-given things. I think they work together like strands of a rope. They're woven together and all of them are important. And there's going to be some give and take, but they all, they all need to be an important part of life. And Moses is completely leaving his kids out. Have you ever known any children of a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist? or a deacon, or a Sunday school teacher who felt completely left out of their dad's life. They really didn't see any point in it. Dad was never home. He was always ministering to somebody else, always had time for other people, always working for other people, always serving other people, always involved with other people's kids, but never had any time for his own. I've known dads that could take other people's kids fishing, but they wouldn't take their own. They would coach other kids' little league teams, but they wouldn't coach their own. They were teaching other people's children about the Bible, but they didn't teach their own children about the Bible. This seems to be something that is fairly common. And I just want to say, as you are getting busy, and as your life gets cluttered up with things, make sure you're not leaving behind your family. That is your primary obligation in ministry as John Rawson reminds our men constantly you need to pastor your family men you are a pastor to your family don't neglect them in anything that you do and secondly notice here that uh, as we pay attention to Moses don't forget to listen when Jethro comes up and they meet each other. Do you notice the first thing that they do is they inquire about each other's well-being. It's not just a one-sided story. Moses shows concern for his father. And 
and father-in-law, and his father-in-law shows concern for Moses. Now, this is more than just how are things going and Moses going, let me tell you what it was like to walk across the Red Sea on dry land. It was about Moses' personal well-being. Maybe Moses expressed a little bit of his frustration. Maybe he expressed a little bit of joy at being able to see his family again. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us. But it does indicate that the two men listen to one another. Have you noticed that in the world in which we live, there's not a whole lot of listening going on? People that think opposite about politics don't talk very often, not in a respectful way. People that disagree over different aspects of uh, doctrine even. They don't really listen and get to know each other. They don't really understand where the other person's coming from. It's I'm right and you're wrong and that settles the issue. Well, listening. Don't forget to listen. And I find that a lot of times people that are busy, especially busy in the Lord's work, there's one thing that they don't do, they don't listen. The Bible says we are supposed to be swift to hear. And we are supposed to be slow to speak and slow to wrath. And boy, we violate that, especially on social media all the time. Okay, so don't forget your family and don't forget to listen. Here's number three. Don't forget to praise God. You know, so often we think about things and we look at things in a pagan kind of way. You know that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, says, uh, through the years we all will be together if the fates allow. And we act as though there's some kind of god or goddess working in our lives called fate, and, and that just makes everything happen or not happen. Well, the man who wrote that song became a Christian late in life, and he actually changed the words to, if the Lord allows... And the Lord is the one who's in control. And, you know, we need to remember that if something good happens in your life, it's really not because of you. It's the God who brought all those things together, your talent, giving you wisdom, putting you in the right place at the right time, in the right nation, for example, whatever it might be. Because some things that you are successful at, you, you would not be successful if you lived in Zimbabwe. It's because you're here. All of this came about because of what the Lord did for you. And you'll notice in these verses that are marked on the screen, Moses constantly talks about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And Jethro got it because Jethro's excitement is about what the Lord, what Yahweh, uh, and later he calls him Elohim, what he has done for his people Israel. Sometimes we get all distraught about things because we forget to praise God for the blessings. Moses had a lot in his life he could have complained about here, and yet he didn't. He gave praise and he gave glory to the Lord. So as you are busy doing your Christmas shopping and busy raising your children and busy building a business and all of the things that you do, don't forget to praise the Lord. It's not all on you and it's not all about you either. Number four, don't forget souls. You know, something amazing happened here in this interaction. It says in verse 10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. You know what is happening? 
Look at verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than the gods. Jethro got saved. Jethro is professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we gather during these Christmas seasons, don't forget that there are probably lost people, lost people at your dinner table, lost people around your Christmas tree opening presents, lost people that are looking at lights with you. And guard your testimony. Talk about the Lord. Share the gospel. And understand that while we are out and about, it really doesn't matter whether the waiter or waitress got our order right. What does matter is their soul. What really doesn't matter is what the person in the right lane did or didn't do. But what does matter is their soul. And what matters in that is our testimony. Are we credible as we share the gospel? Is there any joy in our life? Is there any peace in our life? Is there any victory in our life? What are we really putting the emphasis on as we celebrate the incarnation of Christ? Putting Christ in Christmas really is not something the world needs to do because they can't. It's what Christians need to do. And so we think about the opportunity to witness, the opportunity to tell the story, the opportunity to demonstrate to them the life of Christ. Somebody just might get saved. I don't know that Moses was really expecting it, but it happened. Don't forget about souls. Tell people about Jesus. Emphasize the gospel. And that is the reason for the incarnation. The incarnation of Christ didn't save us. His death on the cross did. His resurrection secures that for us. But he had to be born in order to do that. He had to live a perfect life in order to be that spotless lamb that would be uh, crucified for our sins. It all fits together and we have a great story to tell and we have a good reason to tell that story. And while the world is at least somewhat aware that let's take advantage of that and then number five don't forget to grow now this struck me down in verse 13 that when it talks about Moses the very next day going out from morning to evening hearing all of the disputes and complaints of the people Jethro has a question and Jethro's question doesn't sound complimentary to me. This sounds like the kind of question that would make me a little bit defensive. Can I get an amen on that? I'm sure I'm not alone. What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? You know, I'd be thinking, well, who are you? You haven't been around all this time. Where were you? Why didn't you come with me, maybe, when I stood before Pharaoh? I've been doing this a long time. I'm a seasoned professional. I've been through the hardship. Who are you to question me? But you know what? As it turns out, it was a good question. As it turns out, it was something that Moses needed to be asked because maybe... Maybe he wasn't doing anything wrong, but maybe, how would we say, he wasn't doing the best for himself or for the people or for the work of the Lord. Maybe he was trying to prove to them 
that I'm not worthy of being stoned. Maybe he was trying to prove to them, look, I have your best interest at heart, and no one could fault him for that. But at the same time, maybe he was so busy trying to impress them or win them over that he didn't have his wife, he didn't have his sons, Maybe all these other things weren't really being operational in his life. Someone told me one time that the enemy of the best is good. And that so many times as believers, we get so busy settling for good things, we never do the best things. And we'll adjust everything that we're doing. We'll adjust our goals so because we're busy and because we've got all of these things we're doing instead of being rigid in our goals and flexible in our methodology. Guilty as charged? I think all of us kind of have those kind of uh, problems. Sometimes we feel like we're forced to do it. Sometimes we're pressured to do it. And sometimes it's because we're comfortable doing that. Maybe Moses was comfortable doing all of that. And maybe being a father seemed to be a little bit foreign to him right now. Maybe he's not quite where he needs to be and he needs to grow. Because Moses wasn't perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And sometimes questions from people that normally wouldn't ask a question, like a new believer, like a Jethro who's from Midian, maybe they ask the question because they see things a little bit different. And maybe the Lord wants us to see those things so that we can actually grow and Moses is going to take a giant leap forward in his thinking and in his understanding about all of this so let me just uh, conclude by saying if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you're just trying to make it on your own life just seems to be happening to you and you don't have any faith or confidence that your life has purpose or meaning or that there's anyone in control, why don't you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and put your trust in the fact that he died for your sins, paid the price for your sins, paid for it in full. And the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I pray that you'll call upon the Lord, repent of your sins and believe in what he has done, that he paid the price 100% for you. And then I want to say for those of you who are believers, do you think that your growth and your spiritual advancement is just up to chance, up to the fates, being at the right place at the right time? taking advantage of things and you either do it right or you do it wrong and maybe it's too late for you because you've made too many mistakes. Can I remind you, Moses is a man who had made some mistakes too. He was a murderer, wasn't he? And yet God is still interested in this 80-plus-year-old man out in the desert leading these stubborn, rebellious people. And God is not only interested in getting Israel right and ready for the promised land, but actually in getting Moses right and for Moses to grow. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. And old believers, mature believers, need to learn and grow like everyone else. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. And we need to improve. And there may be a Jethro that needs to come along that questions you 
Oh, it may make you mad right at first, might make you a little defensive, might make you wonder, who does this guy think that he is? And it might make you kind of, you know, out-talk him or something like that. But listen carefully, that might be, that might be from the Lord. And that question might be to cause you to actually grow again. So if your spiritual life is stagnant, maybe you need to question some things. And maybe you need to hear some questions. Ask God to bring somebody like a Jethro into your life that will challenge you and that will help you to take some steps forward. You see what I'm saying? It's time to grow, time to learn, and time to quit being defensive and time to advance onto some new things that the Lord might have for you even as an older believer. That'll keep you from getting stagnant and that's exactly what we want. Some of you may be just too busy and you may be neglecting some things and some people in your life that you really need to pay attention to. And so take this message as a challenge, even at this busy season of the year. Don't get so busy in all of the stuff that you forget about the people and that you forget about the message that we really have to share. Would you pray with me? Father, as we conclude all of this, thank you for time together and thank you for this technology. But thank you more than anything for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of everyone who is listening. Teach us, draw us, save us, deliver us, and grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Enjoy the snow and may the Lord bless you.